Hi there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. That tagline, which I think is pretty good, and I didn't even crack when I said it, is courtesy of this week's guest, Alonzo Duraldi. He came up with that. Uh, he is a film critic, and he's also the author of two books. One is called 101 Must-See Movies for Gay Men, and the other is oh so timely. It's called Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. So if you love Christmas and you love movies, Alonzo is your expert, and his book is full of great suggestions for holiday movies that you may know and some you may not know, and some that are sort of surprising, like Die Hard. Oh, that was a Christmas time. So... It's a great book, and we're going to talk to him about that and a lot of other stuff. He's also got an event coming up in West Hollywood on December 3rd at 7.30 p.m. It's part of Outfest's Wednesday night series, and it's called A Movie Little Christmas in Tinseltown, where Alonzo and Frank DeCaro from Sirius Radio are going to team up and put on a really great, festive, fun show. Uh, before we get to Alonzo, um, I'd like to say that I'm very close to having 500 likes on Facebook, which is kind of a big deal. I'm shooting for that. So if you haven't liked us already on Facebook, go to Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley on Facebook and like me, please. It's so weird to ask people to like me. Please like. Anyway, but that's the terms. I don't invent them. Um, also, if you want to go to DennisAnyone.net, you can take my audience poll. It's so helpful. Uh, you can write a review on iTunes. You can send me an email. You can see pictures that go with the different podcasts that we're talking about. Say if somebody talks about a lamp, I'll take a picture of the lamp and show you, like I did with Kate Flannery. Um, so DennisAnyone.net. You can check all kinds of fun things out there. Uh, that's about it for now. Uh, enjoy the Really terrific, Alonzo Duraldi. He's been a good friend for many years, but I learned things I didn't know about him already, and I even got him to kind of go there at the end, which I'm very proud about. So, enjoy. All right, welcome to the breakfast nook of truck. Truck. I'm starting again. I'm not even going to keep going. You know what? I'm going to keep going. It's it's very human. <laughs> welcome to the breakfast nook of truth, Alonzo Duraldi, author, film critic, uh, uh, Outfest programmer, all around film guy. And podcaster. And podcaster. One <laughs> half of the Linoleum Night podcast with Dave White. Um, Alonzo, movies are your life. Yeah, yeah, as it turns out. Um, I, I maybe should have chosen better when I had choices. Uh, no, yeah. That, you know much... what? I have this line that you know people always say, follow your bliss. Uh-huh. Turns out my bliss didn't know where it was going. <laughs> my bliss needs GPS. My bliss has horrible GPS. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I met you at a drive-in movie. Mm, okay, yeah. I went to your wedding in a movie theater right, right. in Dallas, your yes. first wedding, mm. when, before anybody was even doing it. Yes. You guys were mavericks. <laughs> and it was in Dallas in like 97. Yep, yep. And the drive in movie we met at, Derek Hartley hosted a party there. Yeah. But I feel like it was The Crow was the movie. Actually, that was my was my birthday. Was your birthday? It was my birthday, and I think Derek Hartley I showed met up. you. I met Derek Hartley at your birthday. That's right, yeah. No, we met... Cause I, I met you through PJ Castellaneta. Exactly. A filmmaker. A filmmaker. <laughs> uh, you were a big contributor to my book screening party and mm-hmm. appear on the cover. Yes. So movies are our... Uh, yeah, our common language. Our common language. <laughs> and so there you go. Um... When you were growing up, did you think movies would be your life? 
Pretty much. I mean, the story they like to tell in my family is that uh, I taught myself to read at age three just so I could look through the paper and see what was showing near our house. That's amazing. Uh, like, I could tell you anything. Even though I didn't need, didn't know that these movies were, didn't see them, but I just was, like, immediately obsessed with having that information. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it's just my mutant gene, but, yeah. So, so pretty much that was a thing. What are the early ads you remember from looking at? Um, I, well, I remember there was a... It, 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 I found it later it was a Russ Meyer movie. There was a movie called Finders, Keepers, Lovers, Weepers, uh, which was catchy. Um, God, I don't even remember. I just knew, like, because there was, there, was there was a mall theater down, the, like, about half a mile from us, and there was this little, like, triplex near that, and so, like, I knew what was showing there, like, at a few other places. Like, I somehow had mapped in my mind, like, where the movie theaters near our house was, before I was even going to movies regularly. When you were it's, so young. Yeah. So. I remember in high school, growing up in Holbrook, Arizona, that my family would get the Arizona Republic, which is for the state, and I could see mm. all the movies that were showing in Phoenix, which right. was three hours away. I wasn't... I might go once on a senior trip. Sure. But I remember, like, oh, my God, Private Benjamin's open. Like, I was very <laughs> up to... But this would have been high school. It wasn't... Sure. It wasn't... I wasn't three. No, uh, yeah, and even as a kid, like, I remember for a while that we were getting the Sunday New York Times, and just... Because then that was, that was some, you know movie ads out the yin-yang. I was like, ooh, Satyricon, what's that? I don't know, but it's not showing in Atlanta, you know. Well, so. even today when I look at the LA Times on a Friday and it has all the new movie releases, uh-huh. usually there's like two or three that are on your radar, and then there's like 20 listed. Yeah, no, it's staggering. Uh, because the, the rule is that Every movie that opens in New York gets a New York Times review, and every movie that opens in L.A. gets an L.A. Times review. So movies that will never have any kind of real life apart from being on DVD will will rustle up some kind of four-wall release in those two cities just to be covered. And I think it's good. I, I for as, as a fan and also for filmmakers, I, I like that they review them, review them no matter what. Yeah, but, but you know, Manola Dargis has written about how, like, just there's so much now. That yeah. It's just it's... impossible to, to keep up with it. And, and, and to sort of, you know, I have, I've had this discussion before where it's kind of like, you know, the idea of the Internet was, oh, no more gatekeepers. We're all just going to get our work out there. And it's like, you know what? You're going to miss gatekeepers because when everything is out there and no one's sort of directing traffic and saying, well, this is good and this is a piece of shit, um, there's, you, you know, you need somebody to kind of find order and all that. You need a curator. And it's just like with journalism, like, you needed those editors that sort of, like, you know, pick the writers that that they showcased or the yeah. the stuff that I and, think they, and honed them over the years. Yes, you know. maybe I just say that because I I worked in that field for a while. Um, but I like our our friend Robert Abley mm-hmm. writes a, a lot of reviews for the L.A. Times, he and he does. often does those Friday yeah. thing. And I'm like, what does it take for a movie to go from that Friday thing to the front? Like, what <laughs> kind of is there a if, if Robert said, "Hey, I saw this movie. It deserves way more than than this." I, I suspect those decisions are made before anybody's seen anything. It's all based on like who's releasing it, who's in it, you know, who directed right. it, that kind of thing. And and yeah, you wonder like, does somebody get to? I, I like can the, somebody cheerlead a movie? Sure. Yeah, I bet not, just because of the way because if it's all it's all planned out. But yeah. I bet that if he saw something that were just miraculously amazing in that category, he could bend somebody's ear to then have them do, like, a feature on it yes. or something else. We need you know? to find a way to yeah. make this pop. Um, you have a book out called Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. It's I do. your second book, am it I is. right? It is, After 101 must-see movies <laughs> for gay men, both yes. of which I have here in the Bless nook. Bless your heart. Um, now, your idea to, to compile Christmas movies, when did it first occur to you 
And how did you make it happen? Well, it was weird. Originally, it was this thing where, um, you know, the listicle is the bane of our existence on the internet, but they've been around for a while. And, right. uh, you know, Who back, doesn't love a good list? Well, sure. You know, but uh, they can, they, there can be too much of a good thing. Sometimes. Well, and also, especially <laughs> on the web where they make it like a click-through experience. Oh, God. That's, yeah, that's a cheating, you know, or like you have to, to see all 20 movies, you have to click 20 times. and As though you're going to pick, uh, respond to an ad on every page. I've never responded <laughs> to one single ad, but apparently some people do. Yeah, but between six and seven, there will be an ad that you have yeah. to then pick. Yeah, it's a whole, it's, it's a conspiracy. Anyway. Um, but anyway, so yeah, going back to like my earliest newspaper gigs in the late 80s, I remember I would get assigned these lists of, you know, like alternative Christmas movies or, right. you know, movies you didn't think of as being Christmas movies. And so, you know, I was always writing about, you know, Gremlins and Die Hard and, and right. The Lion in Winter and that kind of thing. And eventually I thought, maybe there's a book in this, you know, and maybe I did the first book and it did, it did reasonably okay, you know, for given that it had no, uh, no promotion. It was being put out by a company that was in the in the in the period between I signed to do it and then it came out. There was a complete regime change. Right. So like the new people, of course, didn't give a crap about what the old people had put through. I think I was edited by a temp, literally. Right. Um, and, but so even though you know, and and, and the, the the movie research book as, or, or reference book rather has has kind of died on the vine because of the internet. I mean, I don't even look up stuff at the time in a book because I've got it on the internet. Right. Um, but this one seemed like kind of a fun idea, and so I sort of carried it around in the back of my head. It wasn't until I met um, the man who had become my agent, uh, Eric Myers, at a at a USA Film Festival party in Dallas. We were sort of chatting, and he knew about my first book, and he said, well, are you, do you have anything else that you're working on? I said, well, I had this idea about doing a book about Christmas movies, and he goes, oh, that's actually not bad, because um, he says, film books really aren't selling anymore, but holiday books, you know, there's still an audience for that. And I was like, okay, great. So he kind of guided me through the process of, you know, doing a proposal, because for the first book, you know, I was working at The Advocate, Advocate Books put it out, I think I literally just stuck my head in somebody's office and said, hey, I have an idea. Right. Uh, but this, yes, sort of showed me the whole thing of, of what you do, and uh, he shopped it around, and no one wanted to do it, and I kind of just said, all right, well, that, that was the thing that happened, and whatever, moved on, and then like a year later, I hear from him out of the blue that the one last publisher who hadn't responded to the initial pitch came back to him and said, yeah, sure, we'll do it. So bless Hal Leonard books, they were game, and then I had to write the thing, and uh, but it was fun, and and I like I'm I'm a Christmas person and I'm a movie person, so I didn't mind spending my July, you know, watching ten different versions of A Christmas Carol, even though I'm sure the neighbors thought it was lunacy to hear, you know, God bless us everyone coming out of my window every couple of hours, you know. Did the experience of working on it and now becoming the Christmas movie guy does it change your relationship to Christmas movies? When somebody says, hey, let's go see Elf, you're like, I would rather the guy in my head. <laughs> I know. I mean, if anything, I think I made the mistake of... The, the problem with being the Christmas movie guy is that then you have... Like, I, I, I you know... When you, when as you know, when, when a great promoter that you are, when you write a book, you give yourself like six, seven months to really schlep it around and take it to places and go to things and do readings and all that right. stuff. Well, when you write a Christmas book, you have a four week window every year because nobody wants to talk about it before Thanksgiving, right? And then nobody wants to talk about it after Christmas. So I kind of spread out those five months over the course of five years. Right. So this is my fifth year working it, but. Because of that, I've had to sort of plan to do things in December, which is already a busy month as a film critic because there's all the year 
Spider-Man movies and for other reasons. So, if anything, I have cut into my Christmas movie watching time by having written this book right. and having to go, like, you know, promote it. You and Elvira should share a publicist. <laughs> she finishes with him right around the time you would exactly, need him. Exactly, yeah. Right? <laughs> um, I want The Best Man Holiday to be in your um, revised version. It came out last year. I cried like a baby. Okay. And, um, and anyway, I don't know. I just like that movie. No, new ones keep coming out. Uh, I liked Arthur Christmas a lot. Yeah. Uh, which came out after the, the book was published. Best Man Holiday, it had its moments, but I... Don't uh, even. Okay. Okay, right. I'm there. But, but, no, here's the thing. Even when I reviewed it, I said, like, the traditional rules don't apply to talking about Christmas movies, because if they hit you in a certain way, it doesn't matter. Whatever your your pre-existing criteria for films or your aesthetic, whatever, doesn't matter. I mean... Right. Uh, and it's funny because one of the things that I, I've noticed a lot in, in doing the research is a lot of the movies that we love now that we consider sort of the go-to films got terrible reviews the first time around. I mean, like, White Christmas, the reviews were blistering. Right. Just that it was, oh, this is a sentimental hogwash and blah, blah, blah. But, of course, that's what we want in a Christmas movie. That's right. It was, like, the biggest hit of that year anyway, you know. Right. Even so, Love Actually, which I think it probably got decent reviews when it came yeah. out or whatever. But now it's sort of beloved. Yeah. I mean, although I think it, there are also people who actively hate that movie but but for the same reasons you yeah. know I, I think when it, when it comes to Christmas it, it's like how it's like Christmas music I think we, we we have a specific thing that we want out of it that we don't necessarily look for in the regular music we listen to the rest of the year and for Christmas movies yeah we want a certain kind of level of warm and fuzzy maybe that in a, that ordinarily we'd be like oh, you know, yeah I don't need that yeah you have a Christmas party every year with your husband Dave and mm. last year somebody brought Love Actually <laughs> cupcakes those were great yeah well, they were great we had jokingly suggested to people that they should dress as their favorite character in Love Actually which no right. one actually did but yeah but but then uh, uh our, our friends came with these amazing cupcakes yeah and they had they had little dowels in them and they For did every every single character. character like people that had two or three lines yeah so they that was that, that was a lot of cupcakes one christmas i was with a group of friends and we watched the dvd and then we watched the deleted scenes mm-hmm. and there are some weirdo deleted scenes oh and, the dying lesbian <laughs> yes and like the little the little boy doing gymnastics through the airport Oh right, and the and the thing about the the, the where the kid writes about his Christmas wish being that farts would be visible or something. I don't know, but you know, when you look at sometimes as a, especially as a writer, you look at things and gosh, oh, they're so talented. I I I wish I could be like that. And then you watch the deleted scenes and you go, okay, no, they <laughs> they, they had some ideas that they, didn't stick to the wall. They, they found their way. Well, no, it's heartening in a way. Well, like White Christmas, that movie was being frantically rewritten. Like, as the costumes were being made and the sets were being built, I think they literally had eight weeks to write the whole thing. They brought right. in two, like, script doctors, and, and, and they were already rehearsing the numbers. I mean, it was just, that that was the level of, of frantic going on. So, right. Yeah, you never know what how the sausage is being made. I Speaking of Christmas classics, Outfest screens anti-mame almost every year. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of anti-mame, but <laughs> I don't love the movie. I feel like there's two funny lines in it. <laughs> Um, it's, you know, I mean, it's not, I didn't put it in my book because it's, there's really just one Christmas scene. And while there are some movies that I included that, that, I mean, like I put female trouble in and that's one Christmas scene. But yeah, I mean, I I like Annie Mame. I, I, for me, whenever I watch that movie, it takes me back to being like nine years old and watching it on PBS pledge drives in Atlanta because there's something about, and I'm, you know, I, when did you see it for the first time? I, more as an adult. Like, I probably wasn't. Because I think if you'd seen that movie in Arizona, that yeah. would have really plugged into your dreams of one day I'm, I'm going to get, get out, the out, out of here. here. Exactly. Yeah. And live this glamorous life in right. New York in this great apartment that changes decor every few months, you know. There's one movie in your book that I was thumbing through and I was like, 
this is not on my radar, and I think I need to see it. Some of my best friends. Oh, some of my, my, some of my best friends are. Yeah, that this is a gay movie that not enough people know about. It is. It, I know because it seems gross, but it, also amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's bonkers. I, I think even Vito Russo in the celluloid closet said like it used to be offensive, and now it's just epic tech. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's set in a gay bar on Christmas Eve, so like crank up the self loathing to ten, uh, and just all about these sort of little mini dramas going in going on amongst the uh, the various patrons. Um, but its cast was like... Yeah, all these future TV stars. Rue McClanahan is in it, then Gil Gerard, and yeah. Gary Sandy is a hustler who beats up um, Holly... Not Hollywood Lawn. Um, Candy Darling. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a... It, Logo actually showed it early on, like when, when we thought Logo might be interesting. Uh, you know, they, right. they, they screened it once. That's how I managed to get a copy of it to put into, like, the clip reel that my friend Dave Kittredge created that's now on Vimeo, but um, love it. Yeah, it's, oh, I'm going to uh, watch that. We're going to link to that. Shit. Oh, please do. Yeah, I'm Clip very, real. I'm, I'm making a note of it. I'm so proud of how that turned out. He did an amazing job. It's now, like, first of all, Gary Sandy's pants were tight on WK in Cincinnati. <laughs> Ad gay hustler? <laughs> Are his t- pants really tight? Uh, there, yeah. I mean, it, it's about he went through. He was like one of the great himbos, I think, in terms he of really was. There was also I don't know if, if you ever watched this. I remember staying up late on the sly to watch this show. Uh, Norman Lear, after the success of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, yeah. did a second show called All That Glitters. No recollection. Nighttime soap. It was syndicated, and it was basically the premise was what if the what if women were the dominant gender in the world. Right. So it was all these sort of like women smoking cigars and running the business world and blah, blah, blah. And Gary Sandy played like the eye candy secretary of one of the characters. And it was like, there were all these moments of people ogling his ass as he would walk out of a room. Oh my God. And that was, I think my first experience with male objectification. <laughs> and a good one. Yeah. And it was he Gary Sandy. It, going, it was, he was hot, but he also like, could he, he, you could also believe that he had a real job at the radio station and did stuff. Sure. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't, you know, and, Antonio Sabato Jr. <laughs> like, you could, you could also see him on a phone. Yeah, or, like, he wasn't necessarily just an underwear model 24-7. No, he just happened, he just had, like, it just happened to be that way. <laughs> um, so, what are some of the more random things that have come out of being the Christmas movie guy? Gosh, um, well, I got to go on the TCM cruise. That Turner was Classic the Movies. The Classic Movies cruise. The first one they did was in December. Yeah. Um, and my friend Ben Mankiewicz kind of hooked me up, and I said, hey. I love that dude, by the way. Oh, he's the best. I, yeah. I adore him. Um, uh, but, you know, so so I put together, with again, with Dave Kittredge's help, uh, this this kind of, like, clip show and discussion. Uh, so I got to go on the cruise. And that. I'd never been on a cruise in my life. I know where you, were, of you course. live on them. But, um, where were you going out it, of? It was out of Fort Lauderdale to, and then Key West, and then Cozumel? Okay. I didn't actually get off the boat in Mexico. Sure. I was kind of exhausted at that point, so I just sort of hung out and read uh, Diane Keaton's memoirs. I love that memoir, by the way. Yeah. I read that while traveling. Yeah, it's a good one. Eating Disorder. Yes. Yeah. I was shocked. All Not shocked, but like, wow. Yeah. Um, wasn't, weren't there some really interesting actors on that cruise? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, um, let's see, it was, it was Ernest Borgnine. On, sh- on a boat? On a boat, and they showed the Poseidon Adventure. So I got to see the Poseidon Adventure on a cruise ship with Ernest Borgnine at the, in December. It was, that was like when, I'll take that to the grave. Uh, Eva Marie Saint, um, Tippi Hedren, 
um, the director Norman Jewison, and then they do like these big sort of trivia game show things. And they oh on, on the, the one that I went on, Wink Martindale went, and he was super nice. Apparently now they 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 they've upped their game and they got Trebek. But uh, but Wink Martindale was they great. They should go back to Martindale. He's, Trebek is snooty. Yeah, I you know I haven't been on Jeopardy. I will I will attest to that. He was he he's a little remote. That's but right. You were on Jeopardy. I was on Jeopardy. I lost on Jeopardy as Al Yankovic. So did my friend Tom Makovsky. How much of it is about buzzer? It's all about the buzzer. It is all about the buzzer. The the lady next to me who won was nervous, and so she was so fast on the buzzer there was no getting around her. And then once she relaxed, she was doomed. Like as returning champ, she got she came in third. It's all about the buzzer. It is all about the buzzer. Yeah. So what's, practice at home with your clicky pen. What's <laughs> something that whenever you see it reminds you of Jeopardy? Like an answer or a movie or a thing or is it like oh, oh that was on jeopardy um well i you know I, I i did my best on an entire category about the Bee Gees. so <laughs> so whenever you see the beaches you think yeah these are my peeps yeah and then also whenever whenever the the movie um uh uh oh what's the neil simon one with uh dinah manoff Oh, I, I, I ought to be in pictures. pictures. Yeah. Yeah, I screwed that up in an answer, and so that that That, that, that haunts you. me. Yeah. But the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees. What were, like, the questions? Uh, there was one that was about Andy. Okay. Uh, there was... I, I, in I re- my DVD, my CD player in my car as we speak. Of course. Listen to it today <laughs> on the way to the coffee bean. Um, I, Dave always likes to make fun of the fact that one of my things was, what is jive talking? <laughs> <laughs> that might be the name of this podcast, although it's not Christmassy at all. Um, that's amazing. Wait, Neil Simon, dead or not dead? Not dead. Not dead. But he used to have a movie every year. <laughs> yeah, he slowed down. Uh, in fact, I don't know that he even writes anymore. Like, yeah, he has, I can't remember the last time he had a play up, but... I want to... I'm sure he's, he can afford an island at this point. Probably. I know, but I want to... I, I need to think about him. <laughs> I need to watch California Sweet again and see what I think. I need to... I, I miss some of those movies, and I, I, they don't make those kind of sort of literary comedies. Not that, that he's that literary, but, but New York. Yeah. yeah, Neil Simon was sort of like, that was my like my 12-year-old's idea of sophistication. Yes. When I watched the Neil Simon movie, I felt smarter. And like I look at them now, and I think, okay, yeah, not so much. But boy, when you're 12, that that is like, you know, I love like scene, Yeah, like Seems Like Old Times I watched recently. and I, uh, yeah, oh, uh, I was a big fan of, um, uh, yeah, definitely California sweet uh, you know he wrote murder by death oh i did not know that yeah which not not aged great yeah if you, if you loved it as a kid and you watch as an adult it's a little less so but yeah i was all about the neil Simon. now we lost mike nichols recently we did this week yeah um what's your f- sort of i mean there's the obvious classics but the, is there a mike nichols unsung gem that you like um i like catch 22 a lot which okay. got a bad rap when it first came out but i think it's aged well i've never seen heartburn uh, Heartburn has moments for sure. I like the book better. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I always, you always like the book better. Um, and you know, and, and it's funny, like, I remember, of course, Angels in America. Oh, God, that was so great. I forgot that he also did Wit yes. for HBO, which was also terrific. I'm not a big fan of The Graduate, strangely enough. Yeah. I know a lot of people are. It's, I, I don't think that movie, I, I think that was a very of its time movie that doesn't, it's not quite as effective anymore. And Ebert right. agrees with me, so it's not just me. Who does? Ebert. When, when, they, wow. when they, they did a 30th anniversary reissue in 97, and he wrote a review about how, how looking at it now was like looking at your old prom picture and realizing that your date's beehive looks ridiculous, but the, the chaperone is suddenly hot. Interesting. <laughs> I 
loved the documentary about Roger Ebert. I mm. think I had the most emotional experience in a theater I've had this year. I wow. found it so moving. Mm. What is your, as a film reviewer, what do you think of him? And you probably met him, too. Yeah, I did. I mean, uh, he... he uh, was a, was a played a key role in my life because you know again when I was eight sneak previews came on the air you know yeah. and suddenly it was kind of like oh that's a that's a job that's a thing you can do for a living you right know? Um, and so yeah I mean I totally grew up on those guys and then you know I ran out to see my dinner with Andre because they told me right. to you they know? wouldn't shut up about it yeah when I was like fifteen you know and I not a movie I probably would have sought out on my own um, yeah and then years later when I was again in Dallas at the USA Film Festival. He had been, um, in the early years of the festival, it was programmed by film critics, and he was one of the people who programmed it. And the year they hired me was the 25th anniversary festival. And I was 27 at the time. And you were doing that festival. I remember that. that. Yeah, and it was like a lot of pressure. It was like, you know, really needed to make it special. And he came. And he came, and he did some panels, and he did some Q and A's with like um, with that movie. Remember that movie, Me Familia? Yeah. Uh, you know that was it was that year. So he, and he's a little friend. He was old friends with Gregory Nava, so he came in and did that Q and A with him and Jimmy Smits. And he and Chaz came to Dallas and was like he had a lot. He was had really good advice for me in terms of just like how to be in this situation and was just very open to questions about things. I even like asked him some of my stupid beyond the Valley of the dolls questions. Of course. You know? Why and, wouldn't you? Yeah. And he was great. And, and even, would you like, did you have like meals with him or hang out at like, uh, cocktail parties? We, or? We, I, yeah, both. Uh, I remember, I like, I remember having brunch with them the day they were leaving and it was just, and to me, like my head was just exploding. Like, oh my God, I'm sitting at a table with Roger Ebert, you know, cause he, you know, that he had meant just a great deal to me. And so, yeah, I remember when he died, I was in the middle, of a screening of um, To the Wonder <laughs> and my phone buzzed so many times I was like alright what's going on I gotta go and check this and I, uh, yeah I was floored and I then immediately had to like that, the, the, the weird thing about writing for the rap is that like when somebody dies I have to immediately churn out like my thoughts and like you know the sort of appreciation of their whole life I just did one for Mike Nichols this week um, which is a good exercise I guess as a writer but sometimes yeah. it's like it's sometimes not- I read those obituaries right away and I'm like how did this person do that so yeah. quickly? I mean, I you know, I, I if I were smart and and planned ahead, I would start banking them. But you know, right. I just I never work that way. So yeah, yeah. Who's got? And you don't <laughs> want to think like that, anyway. Yeah. What I loved about Roger Ebert, among many things, was that he he didn't keep himself separate from the filmmaking world. He mm. had friends that were filmmakers, and he socialized with them. But he did still have his integrity as a critic. Yeah. But he it, it, there wasn't a wall there, like. I was so moved in the documentary when Martin Scorsese talked about how Roger Ebert and and Siskel, I think, Uh inviting him to that one festival sort of saved him in a way at a time when he was, and he was, his tearing up and the young filmmakers that he championed, Mm -hmm. he he was, he was not a star fucker because he would love like the, anyone that I think he thought was talented or worthy or... It's it's a tricky line. I mean, like, I feel like there's too many people that maybe are are, are too, you know, like Pauline Kael said years ago that no great film criticism would ever come out of Los Angeles because inevitably you get swept into, like, the system and you become too friends with too many people, which is weird coming from Pauline Kael given that she left The New Yorker for several years to work for Warren Beatty. But right. um, I try to... I try to maintain a, a certain amount of distance, and if I 
don't, then I try, I try not to review those people's movies. Right. You had that recently with Dear White People, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I've known Justin for a long time, so I didn't want to the review that. Justin. Justin Simeon. Because right. uh, he used to be a, a publicist. He was my the publicist that I worked with at Paramount, who right. handled the online people. And he was one of the good ones. Like, he would actually return your calls and not nice. BS you and stuff. So, yeah. Was very, I mean, I'm thrilled that he's kind of moved on to the next phase of it. But, yeah, I, you know, like, I don't, I, I don't, I did the two, the last two Twilight movies, but I'm not going to review any more Bill Condon movies, because I'm really good friends with his husband, Jack. Right. Um, you know, I didn't want to review Dumb and Dumber 2 because we know Bennett. You know? Right. So it, it, more and more I find myself like, well, I can't do that person. I can't do that person. But at the same time, it's like I try to be supportive in other ways. You know? But just knowing them as you do and hearing them as friends talk about filmmaking or the struggles or the frustrations, does it give you a sort of, um, I don't know, does it, does it somehow affect you when you go to write about films in a general way? Like, well, I mean, I think it's always good to know about the process, you know. Right. I mean, I think a lot of... It, the, the, it, not that you should know the specifics of behind a certain movie, but just in the broader sense of how things get made and what things are difficult and what's the challenge of getting things sold or, you know, getting this kind of material through. You know, it, it's good to have that just as kind of a general knowledge of the landscape. But you can get too tied up into the business side of it, which I don't, I'm not really interested right. in. Right, and your job is to... to write about how it plays, yeah, how it works on you. Exactly. Not that they had to get that actress because they needed the money or whatever. You're right. Yeah, ultimately, you know, you, you know, yeah, you might give a low-budget movie a little more of a break on certain things than, than a big-budget movie, but ultimately it's about the same thing. It's about the storytelling. Is it, It's about how effective it is in doing whatever it was that it set out to do in the first place. Was there a movie that you revisited later and liked way more than you liked it at the time? Hmm. I can't... Think of any. Usually, it's the opposite. Usually, it's like I love this at the time, and then I watch it later, and it was like, mm. uh, yeah, um, I yeah, I can't really think of one. Yeah, actually, I, I probably because if I didn't like it the first time, like why would I watch it again? Although I will say that, that I did have this one weird experience where um, I saw Kevin Smith's Jersey Girl when it came out. Right, and you'll remember it was after the whole Benefer thing sure. that peaked, and so he had to Jennifer go, Lopez and Ben Affleck. Yeah, so he had to go in and, and recut it and kind of get her off stage faster. And I remember thinking, ah, this movie doesn't really work. It's not all that funny, and it's not all that affecting. And then I went to he did a thing called Vulgarthon that was an all day marathon of movies that he either directed or produced or had some stake in. And um, before the anniversary screening of Chasing Amy, which I really wanted to go to, they were showing the director's cut of Jersey Girl, and I thought, well, I, I don't want to give up these seats, you know, right. we were in the Cinerama Dome, it's like, so I will just grit my teeth and get through this, even though I really hated the theatrical cut, and the director's cut of that movie, I was bawling at the end, I, it was so powerful, and like, I always tell people, the worst movie he ever made is the theatrical cut of Jersey Girl, and the best movie he ever made is the director's cut of Jersey Girl. It totally made a difference. Jennifer Lopez doesn't die for like 45 minutes, so you really get to know her character, you care about her relationship with Ben Affleck, it's the best thing she's been in since, or her best performance since Out of Sight, she's really funny in it, and she and Affleck actually have a real chemistry in the movie. And is then, that ever going to be released? Uh, he keeps saying that one of these days he's going to put it out on DVD. Like, I think this year was the 10th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, but I, I hope at some point he does, because it's, it's shocking how much better that movie is in, in its original incarnation. Yeah. Now, are you an Oscar-file? Do you love the Oscars? Uh, Do you, or is it a different thing for you? The Oscars is the ex that treated me like shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
I grew up. I grew up obsessed with the Oscars. I mean, the Oscars are the ex that treated you like shit. Okay. I think a lot of young gay boys fixate on the Oscars. For like sure. It, it's, this big, it's our Super Bowl. It's this big yeah. event, and you know, it's a splashy, and it's glamorous, and it's you know, it's this it's this way of you know scorecarding the year and blah blah blah. So yeah, as a little kid, I was obsessed with it, and like I you know remember getting finally getting to stay up for the whole thing because I lived on the East Coast and it didn't start till like nine. Um, you know, and yeah, totally like knew the trivia and, you know, knew who won what and who lost and blah, blah, blah. And then as I got older, it, like it started in college. I think the, the year that, uh, that the, that out of Africa swept and the color purple won nothing. It was my first taste of, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, where you, you start realizing that it's not really about quality. It's about all these other political things. And, oh, we didn't give it to that guy last year, so we're giving right. him this year and all this stuff. And then my my big road to Damascus moment was, I think, as was for many people, when uh, Crash beat Brokeback Mountain. I was like, all right, we're done. We're right. done. Yeah. And the thing is that since then, <laughs> I have probably had to write about the Oscars and cover the Oscars and handicap the Oscars more than I ever before that. So right. back when I actually cared and would wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to watch the announcement of the nomination and stuff, I wasn't really writing about it that much. Now that I find the whole thing vexing and think that it's all a scam, suddenly I'm having to like write and, and think about it much more. I remember having an Oscar party at our mutual friend Dennis Smeal's house the year of Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> and we were all dressed in cowboy gear. <laughs> and then it lost, and we were all standing there. I feel like there was a bale of hay to sit on, but there probably <laughs> wasn't. But there... There could have been. There was but a, I remember being in a hat and uh, just like the, the fury in that room, yeah. feeling like a dope. Was that the same year of, uh, of, of um, Inconvenient Truth, where Melissa Etheridge won the Oscar, and Dennis Smeal said, "Thank you, America." <laughs> no, but that's an amazing thing. I remember seeing Melissa Etheridge in concert early in the year. Uh-huh. She's like, "Yeah, I wrote this song for a little movie, and it's coming out soon." And there are any Academy voters out there? Like, she went in for the plug. Yeah, she was for your consideration again. <laughs> Way before. And I was like, let's not put the cart before the horse, lady. Well, be the-. And sure enough, she walked off with that trophy. Yeah, she knew what she was doing. She got it. <laughs> Do you remember the first movie you saw in a theater? Um, I'm pretty sure. I mean, the, I, there may have been other ones, but the first one that I literally remember the, the whole experience of it um, was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Which was a little creepy. A little, very creepy. That that tunnel scene where there's like a worm on the guy's face and a chicken gets beheaded. Like, you could never do that in a kid's movie now. It's funny because, you know, our mutual friend, uh, uh, the late Ed Margulies, you know, yes. who hired us to write for Movie Line. He was his, my first kind of writing person that believed in me. Yeah, no, he, yeah. Was, he was one of my early champions, too. Um, his father produced that movie. Oh, wow. And he asked me that same question once. What was the first movie you were? And I said, well, actually, it was Willy Wonka on the talk about it. And he goes, oh, God, you were doomed from the start. Oh. <laughs> I remember going to lunch with Ed. He was the first person that published my first story and going to lunch with him at, like, Kate Manolini. Yes. Oh, those were the best lunches. The best lunches, and it's no longer there. Yes. Oh, uh, and, and he had all the dish. He, had all, he loved it all. And, and he, he was, would tell you about, like, when being a publicist, like, in the days of Studio 54 and yeah. stuff. So, like, oh, God. He it was, was a great one. Oh, the best. Those movie line parties in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck a duck. <laughs> All right, you host a podcast called Linoleum Knife with right. your husband, Dave White. Yes. How long have you been doing that? Uh, it'll It's four years this month, actually. 
And it's growing, and it's cool, and it's movie reviews, yeah. and you have merch. Yeah, we do. We have t-shirts now, and we, we have special episodes that we sell that are where we do, like, kind of DVD commentaries, but you can right. listen to them just, like, long episodes if you feel like it. Um, yeah, it was it was just one of those things that, it was, it was a couple of things. One, people always liked listening to us argue in public, and they right. would say, oh, you guys should have a show, or da-da-da, and, you know, it's like, yeah, right, that, give me those keys, you know. Right. And then I had been on a couple of different TV things. I was on this thing called the Rotten Tomato Show that was on Current for a while, and then right. it got canceled. And I was on this thing on IFC called The Grid that got canceled. I kept telling them, you all know that that's the old name of AIDS, right? Right. And they, they didn't care. But anyway, so both those shows died, and I remember just coming home the day one day and saying, all right, I need to have a thing that is mine, that cannot be canceled out from under me, that is just, like, mine, you know? Right. I don't understand that impulse at all. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm sure it's completely alien to you. So, uh, and, and he never, he was self-conscious about being on camera. He didn't want to be on camera. And I said, we'll do a podcast. It'll be audio. And luckily, and, and the only reason I even knew what a podcast was at that point was because Gray Drake and Gariana Aveda invited me to be on the no longer existent um, Popcorn Mafia podcast. Right. And we both had done it. And so we got, we, that was our first clue of, oh, this is this thing. Like, right. I'd heard the word, but I never really put it all together and figure out what a podcast was. Um, so we started doing it. Gray sold us her old rig because her show had been picked up by some network, so she was going into a studio. And, um, yeah, we just started taping it at our, you know, kitchen table of truth. And uh, I love that it's the kitchen table of truth. <laughs> and I want to thank you. Always plug my podcast, and I always forget to plug other podcasts. And I want to yes, apologize. You're, you're an awful person. I am an awful person. No, but I'm like, I, you know what I do? When it comes to those businessy things, I... I decide that people literally want to drive off a cliff when I started with that. <laughs> so I just barrel through them. I need to own them more, relax into them. That's right. And trust. <laughs> um, I love your podcast because there's the movie reviews, and but there's also this domestic sitcom, The Bickersons, happening. <laughs> The dynamic of it. And just for the record, I'm kind of on your side more than Dave's. Ah, uh, well, thank you. I would say 60-40. Uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, people at home can decide who they think I, is right. I mean, you know, I, you know <laughs> not that I don't love you both to pieces. What is some randomness that has come out of the podcast? Do you have fans in other countries? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, we we have people in England who send us chocolate, bless their hearts. Um, God. I got, I, there's somebody in Fuck New, you. I know, somebody in New Zealand just bought my book, uh, That's which amazing. Was nice. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's weird how the internet is really just like it goes out there and it's everywhere. Um, and you know, I feel like you know this is kind of a relatively new world, and I, I think a lot of the people, most of the people who are really succeeding right now, come from other media. You know, like I think the number one podcast right now is Adam Carolla because you know right. he's a thing elsewhere, and. You know, there's a lot of established comedians who are doing different spins on it and stuff. So we're all just kind of out there sort of throwing things to the wall. And what's cool about it is that, you know, it's so cheap to do. Like, there's right. minor expenses involved. Um, and and there's a lot of people out there who, who have the time and, and the interest to listen to this stuff. So, again, sort of like with the books, like, there was never a giant marketing machine behind us. But slowly, but surely, there's word of mouth. There's some... Some website somewhere puts us on a list of movie podcasts they like, and slowly, 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 like, our numbers build, and I'm sure that's, you know, the same's been happening for you in both incarnations, you know, and, you know, you, because I've always admired your ability to promote, I mean, I, you know, I should, being part of, being sort of an adjunct to the screening party juggernaut, I was just like, you were so tireless in getting it out there and coming up with new ways to dress it up and take it out on the road or to, 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 to build an event around it, you know. Thank you. Um, you know, I think you're really creative that way, so I, and I, I, I think you're doing that this way because you're talking to people like 
like Kate Flannery, like Del Shores, who have their own followings. And so then those people listen to that episode and they're like, oh, hey, I like that. I'm going to subscribe now, you know. And so I, if, if, if I can throw you yes. two linoleum night blizzards out of this. I love it. Yay. Well, the, my work the, is how done. has doing it affected your relationship with with Dave, because is it something you really enjoy, and it's something oh, you yeah. created together? It's something you have a sense of pride it, about? Yeah, it's our thing, and we have, we have like, you know, linoleum-knife.com. We still can't get the, the one without the dash. Um, yeah, so like we have this website that, that I, I think, like, part of us is thinking about it as, you know, as you know, the freelancing it gets has gotten harder and harder over the yeah. years and things are drying up and fewer people want to actually pay you what you're worth to do the work that you're doing and i, I think in a way we kind of think of it as well when you sort say of... it like that it's a real bummer <laughs> when you put it in a sentence i usually just make a face but when you put it into words well, you're the one who came up with like the 90s when people said yes so you know oh, it's, my it's god the same thing yeah um so I, I sort of think of it as kind of like this life raft that we have where if everything else dries up like we have this thing that we started to create and then that we could put energy into and try and turn into more of a profit generating enterprise you know but until that time like he's got movies.com i've got the rap and various other things going on so it's just a thing that we do on the side but you know these things that you do on the side kind of drive each other to places. I've had people find Linoleum Knife because they've seen me on What the Flick on YouTube. And then I've also had people discover What the Flick because they listen to the show. And, you know? and I think as a film critic, you've got to do all that stuff to yeah. try to combine it to make a make a living. Yeah, yeah. Believe me. I, yeah. There's... Unless you are, a, like, a sexy Russian spam bot, I will friend you back on Facebook. <laughs> That's so good. You know, because I, I, want, I, I, need, I want the clicks, you know. Yeah. I want to let people know about, like, hey, I have this book. Hey, I wrote this thing. You know, hey, I've, I've recorded this podcast. What, what, kind, what's the, what are the types of feedback that you've gotten that mean the most? Do you, the, when you turn somebody on to an obscure movie or... Yeah, no, I mean, that's always great. I, or, or just people saying, oh, my God, I thought it was the only person who liked, you know, blah, blah, blah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, so that's, that's always really cool. But, yeah, all, you know, when... when Especially because Dave, even more than I, will really kind of dig deep and find these, like, little tiny... He's got, like, the Korean yes, thing exactly. or whatever you know, that the, thing is. The, 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 you know, the Turin horse is our kind of go-to joke for, like, <laughs> like the most depressing movie about two people and a starving horse in a windstorm, you know. But he makes you want to watch it when and, you yeah. listen. You're like, I'll put that on my lip. No. You know, you never get to it, he but knows, you he, might write it on a post He knows how to sex it up. And, uh, <laughs> and so then people go find it on Netflix or whatever, and then they'll maybe go find it. Yeah. If they like it, they'll go find other things that guy directed. And so, yeah, that's kind of fun to share. And then it's fun to hear from people, you know, we get people will send us their top ten list. We're like, wow, we never heard of that movie. We'll go look for it, you know. And what do you think of uh, aggregators like Rotten Tomatoes? Because <laughs> um, I know filmmakers who will have a film that plays really well in festivals or somehow finds its people, and then uh, it comes out on Rotten Tomatoes and has twenty two percent. Right. And I think that's that's a fair assessment of what general critics find. But I think there is an audience that would that would love sure. that. That's a 90% for that movie. You know, I, I think like anything else, you have to kind of take it as part of a larger discussion. Like, right. in the same way that you don't just read the star rating or the letter grade or whatever the extra, you have to then go read the review. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes gives you, yeah, like a quick sort of snapshot of, here's what the, uh, among the general consensus of critics, he, this is the percentage of ones that liked it. But I think if it's a movie that sounds like it's your kind of thing, it's up to you to maybe start cultivating the personal critics that you, that, that you agree or disagree with. I mean, I think I probably have people, at least they say this in their charming comments that I've tried not to read anymore, that they'll, they know that if I hate a movie, they'll love it, or vice versa. And I've had critics that way, too. You know, and, or other ones where, like, I can generally trust 
this person's opinion where even if they don't go with the the, the, the majority, that we share a sensibility, and so I'll like that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Rotten Tomatoes is great as a way to, again, sort of give you this broad overview, but also to kind of, you have a page full of links there of, yeah. to all these reviews. Go read them. Go yeah. read the, go read the, if there's only four positive reviews, go read those positive reviews and find out why they liked it. And maybe you'll think, oh, okay, so he likes this, these elements. Maybe I will like them as well. Um, it's weird when people quantify this stuff into such a scorecard, you know, um, I have, like, these teenagers who are would-be film critics. I'm always telling them, oh, my God, do anything else with your yeah. life. Um, you know, who have found me via, like, the Schmoes Know or other shows, and they'll, well, they'll, they'll message me on Facebook, and they'll want to know, like, my top ten lists for all these different years and stuff. And it's kind of like, it, 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 it's, this is art, ultimately, that we're talking about right. here. It's not a numbers game, you know, and it's, it's not like, you know which Van Gogh painting sold for the most, so that one's right. the best one, you know. It's, there's other stuff involved. So uh, I don't get too bogged down in the numbers or the letters or the stars or the whatevers and, and, and kind of try and, I guess, I guess, sort of take these things on a case-by-case basis and think, all right, this does sound like it's my cup of tea. I should check it out. When you have to see a bunch of movies, mm-hmm. like more than one a day or whatever, yeah. is there something you do to try to cleanse your palate, to try to be fair, and to try to just enjoy it to have the best experience you can have with something before it starts to unfold. How do you keep yourself from getting jaded? Um, you know, I don't know. I think the thing is, you know, people, I, I hear this so often where people say, oh, God, film critics just hate movies. And it's like, no, film critics love movies. Like, if anything, we maybe love them too much. Yeah. And that's why we get upset about a movie that sucks, you know. Yeah. So I like to think that I go into everything with at least a glimmer of hope of, I'm about to see something that's going to knock me out. Right. You know, and and I have been surprised, you know. Uh, this morning I saw Penguins of Madagascar, and I did not particularly have high hopes, although I did like the third Madagascar movie, because Noah Baumbach co-wrote it, and I thought it was actually really clever. And, um, and I laughed, and I had a good time. And so, you know, you can... Uh, even if I'm seeing, like, it's not often that much anymore, but there have been times, yeah, festivals where I would see five or six movies in a day, you have to just, before each one, you know, as those lights go down, just kind of think, all right, what do you got? Excite yeah. me. Like, maybe this is going to be something that, that really blows me away and, and that I'll be talking about. So I like to think that I, that I give every movie that yeah. same consideration. When you go to the movies, where do you like to sit? What's your favorite cinema to see a movie in? And what's your snack? Hmm. Okay. Um, I like to be near the aisle, uh, okay. just for, for easy in and outs if necessary. Um, usually higher up, <laughs> but it kind of depends on the rake of the theater. Like there's certain right. screening rooms, like there's one where I know I have to either sit in the back row or the front row because there's, otherwise it's going to have heads in the way. Right. You know, especially if there's subtitles. Um, but usually towards the back, you know, like up high. And then my snack, um... I like, uh, you know, if I can get red vines that aren't stained, not red vines, sorry, scratch that, ugh, Twizzlers, I, I'm not a red vine person. Twizzlers- wow, I used to, I could, I could put away a box of red vines before the trailers. Oh, see, uh, to me, I, 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 I think red vines, to me, feel like long chapsticks. Like, okay. it's, it's a, it's a texture thing, I much prefer Twizzlers. Sure, I got um, it. But I like Twizzlers that aren't stale. A lot of times okay. in the movie theaters, they've been there too long, yeah. they're, they're all kind of bunged up in the middle. If they're fresher, they're hollower. Can you tell before you buy? No, And you're like, can I squeeze those Twizzlers? 
prism for a second. <laughs> I wish. No, it's kind of a crapshoot. So it's special when I get the ones yeah. that, that are so fresh because those are the ones that you can bite the ends off of and use as straws. What's your favorite theater? My favorite? Uh, I like the Vista in Los Feliz, although I don't go there very much, but I like it because it's an old movie palace. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of leg room. Yeah. Um, gosh, my uh, like favorite movie, to, like, like commercial movie theater... Hmm. Um, well, you think about that. I'm okay. going to share an anecdote. Okay, please. Go I on. just went to see Interstellar at the AMC, AMC 16 in Burbank, oh. and they have this thing called AMC Prime. What's Prime, you <laughs> I don't know. Go in there. The seats are recliners, electronic recliners. Oh, nice. Like, I guess like you'd be in first class in an airplane, uh-huh. and there's two buttons. There's the one, the footrest button and the uh-huh. other button, and you full-on re- Climb. Wow. Okay. It's I've walked past of, that theater. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, there. that's what's going on. It's a lot of people with buttons. And, they're <laughs> qu- and then also, like at one point, I dropped something on the floor, so I had to bring it up in the movie. And I'm like, how loud is this thing going to be? But it's not that loud. Oh, good. Yeah, that's I, what actually, Prime means. I do like the AMC Burbank um, because it's AMC, and I've talked about this on, on the Nolan Night. They have this thing where they, when they build a theater, it is the newest, the shiniest, the greatest, the the slickest. And then they will never do anything else to it and let it slowly die on the vine until they right. finally tear it down and then build a new shiny one. Yeah. Like, if you wanted to, if you wanted to watch... And Burbank, there's three different exactly. cineplexes and you get the whole... It's, it's like the Cro-Magnon. Exactly. If you want the evolution of how a movie goes to <laughs> shit, go inside the mall to that eight plex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a DQ next to it, though. So there is. Yes. I'm very excited about that. But, uh, but yeah, so, no, I, I, I like the AMC Burbank. I like, you know... Um, um, I like going to Cinefamily if I can get a sofa. Oh yeah, that's that's a that's a fun. That's place a cool to go. LA thing. Um, you know, uh, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a lot of crap. The new Chinese is pretty great. Now, yeah. if you to see an IMAX movie there, yeah, in the um, big one, in the big one, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, not yeah, the yeah, Chinette, yeah. but the actual the, the 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 Chinese itself. Yeah, like I saw Interstellar there. I saw Gravity yeah. there. It's like it's a movie. It's a place to see giant films. What movie from this year are you championing? Um, I remember you championed We Are the Best, which yes. was this cool movie that I ended up going to see oh, at cool. the New Beverly and because of you guys. Oh, yeah, and it's now on uh, Netflix. Yeah. That's Are sure. there other little movies from this year that you're like... Yeah, um, I mean, like everybody knows about Boyhood, but the one that uh, the one that I keep beating the drum for is Locke, uh, L-O-C-K-E. With, I saw uh, that. With Tom Hardy. I think that movie's extraordinary. And, yeah. and I've seen it several times. I show I screened it for my class. So I'm teaching a class now, and the, the and it's about sort of filmmakers uh, creatively overcoming either problems that are, are, are they're stuck with or ones that they've taken on for themselves. And I think this was an example of like here's a filmmaker who's like, all right, I'm going to do this movie, and we're not leaving the car. How right. do I make this interesting? Go. Um, and so yeah, and I showed it to them as a, just kind of a perfect example of how do you paint yourself into a corner and then do great and be things. creative within it. Yeah. Um, I watched it recently, and I thought it was interesting as a as a sort of as a stunt or as a as a conceit. And I love that all the actors that were on the phone with Locke were. Um, in a hotel room or wherever they were, calling in live. And the other thing I liked about it was that his dilemmas were everyday man dilemmas. There was no crime element. Mm -hmm. He wasn't like a hit man. There's no, like, giant LED display bomb thing. No, he was just a guy living a life where he had made a mistake. I just thought it was interesting, and I like that actor a lot. Oh, he's great. But, yeah, you're right. The the way it's like, uh, you know, watching it in the context of class was like, okay, they... They establish characters, they create tension, there are stakes, you know, like all these things that you would traditionally do in different ways, and it's all coming out of this these phone conversations. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you like teaching? It's 
pretty cool. What uh, do you teach? Um, it, it, well, the, the, the class is called Evolution of Film Narrative, but it, it's not really that anymore. Right. It's been that. It, 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 that was an old name they just sort of kept. But the way they sold it to me was the idea of, like, contemporary filmmakers sort of, you know, working around problems and, and you know, that kind of thing. So, and I inherited it from my friend Peter DeBruge, who writes for Variety, who moved to Paris, bless him. Um, and it's been exciting. Um, you know, I, the, the, the... Once a week? Once a week. And, I like, I'm just, like, an adjunct faculty... But all the students are MFA candidates. Wow! So they, you know, they want to be there. They're interested, and they have really great things to say. So, and where do you teach at? Uh, it's called at uh, the Chapman University down in nice. Orange County. So, I mean, I literally start every session with kind of like, so whatever movie we watched last week, thoughts and hands go up, and people have things to say. And so you talk first, and then show a movie. Yeah, and then come back later, and then you know, they come back the next week, and we and talk, talk about, about last the one that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because I think maybe teaching is something I could do sometime oh to make God. money. But I feel like the things that I would teach aren't really jobs anymore. <laughs> like I, I'm not, and I'm not being like. No, I know. What I'm you like, mean. how to write a magazine profile? <laughs> um, yeah. First of all, get in a time machine. <laughs> Sometimes I tell people I feel like that I've trained my whole life to be a harpsichord repairman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like I don't even know. But um, what do you? When you look at the students and remember yourself back then, I think there must be something poignant about them. And Well, I mean, it's, it's, what's interesting is that they are all production students. I think right. I have maybe two students in the class who are sort of film theory people. Like academics. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it's, it, which is completely divorced from me. I'm not a filmmaker. I've yeah. never had any interest in, in, or desire to be one. Um, so it's cool to talk about directing and writing and editing in a way that is very kind of practical, you know, as opposed to sort of my experience with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're really enthusiastic and like, you know, I never went to film school. I went to a college that didn't really have a film department. I kind of made up a major. Um, I always wanted to go to film school, but I didn't really, I went to a college too. I, I went to Arizona state, which has now become a punchline. <laughs> Dumb and dumber too. Yeah. It was like, I just got accepted to Arizona state. I didn't realize when I was there that it's like a big joke of a college. It's like the party school, right? Yeah. It's, or it's like, and now it's like, now it's you online, can, right? You like, do, yeah. It's, it's where it's, all the Starbucks people go. Right? I know. I think it's so, I, you know, I'm sure you got the most out of it. I've, you know what? It was, when I started, it was $365 a semester. There you go. So there you go. Right? That's funny. We just had Chris Lavoie on our show. Do you Have you met him? I know the name. He is the producer of the Stephanie Miller show. Oh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, good friends with our friends Rick and Chris. Um, but he's also an Arizona native. I think you guys should... Oh, should I love that. I used to listen to that show, and then they took it off KFI, so... Or yeah. whatever. Um, but I, this is the show... This is, these are the movies I remember seeing in this film class. Mm. Um, His Girl Friday, yeah, loved great. it. Battleship Potemkin, sure. And then I remember being in Odessa, Russia, on my cruise ship stint. Wow. And you went to the steps. I went to the steps, yeah. and I kind of reenacted the step sequence a little bit. Like I remember, did you grab some lady's baby carrot? I tried to do it. Yeah, I was trying to do it. But I remember, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to see cool, fun movies, and mm. not a kid, but a student. Yeah, you're not as so weird when you're in the environment to learn so much your head's not always there um i remember saying grace of wrath mm -hmm. and i remember this girl amy sitting next to me and we watched it and we were talking about ma jode mm -hmm. and she got we got to the end of the movie and she leaned over to me and she goes all that starving and she didn't drop a pound <laughs> <laughs> that's what i always 
always remember oh, about the Grace of Wrath. Oh, poor and, I know. And <laughs> I think waterways. 39 Steps I remember oh, from that, yeah, Citizen yeah, yeah. Kane. Mm-hmm. Is there a classic that you don't love? <laughs> and I'll come clean about this first. I don't love The Wizard of Oz. I don't either. I don't actually. love it. I don't love it. I, I think there are issues with that movie. Um, I just, it doesn't, I don't... I, I, there are some good songs and some some cool visuals, but yeah, I'm not a giant fan of that one. Um, uh, my go-to on this one is usually um, uh, the general, the the Buster Keaton movie. I oh, think yeah. I, there are other Buster Keaton movies I like more. I would rather right. watch The Navigator or The Cameraman. Right, but you know, I don't know any of those movies. <laughs> They're silent comedies. Um, I was thinking also of like classics that I'd never seen, and I'm sure you don't have those. I'm oh sure no, no, seen... I got gaps. Believe really? Me. Oh sure. But I'm starting to catch up better. I finally saw Casablanca okay. for the first time this year. Good one. I loved it. It's great. I loved the writing of it. I loved that it wasn't just the romance. It was yeah. this well, intrigue, and I liked how economical it was. It was I, sort of quick and that, fast. Well, that's the one you know, like a lot of the screenwriting courses. Yes, that is perfect. Trip. That was another one. And actually, it's the same director as White Christmas that was being frantically rewritten while the movie was made. And it's so tight. Ingrid Bergman literally didn't know who she was going to get on the plane with at the end of the movie for much of the shoot. Wow. And also, if you look in 101 Wesley Movies for Gay Men, I put in Casablanca because if you watch it as the whole movie being about how Captain Renault is in love with Rick, they're the ones that go off together at the end of the movie. Interesting. <laughs> I like that. Um, I like to go to the movies when I'm on vacation. Oh, I'll yes. be in Hawaii. My friends are like, what do you want to do today? Or like, I remember going there once with my ex and I was like, can we go see Casino Royale? And they're like, we're in Maui. But I still like it. I still like to no, do that. I like I like going to movies in other countries just to, yeah, see, to see how, how they, they do. do it. Yeah. And I, if I, if I, when I went to Mexico on a, a trip I went on another game show with my friend Aaron, we got super sunburned one day. And so the next day I was like, well, let's go to a movie. And so yeah. we went and saw um, this film that never got released theatrically here called I Could Never Be Your Woman. Wow. With uh, with Michelle Bruce Jenner? And, no. <laughs> that was... Oh. <laughs> Too soon. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's, you know what? We're, there's I a res- lot of inappropriate stuff being thrown around the Bruce Jenner I thing. respect his journey. But I do too, but I, I think or her we journey need, or whatever I, that journey is. There's just too much mystery around it, I guess. I, you know, look, if you'd been living with the Kardashians for the last 10 years, you'd want to be away from the cameras for a while too. I, I get it. I see. Um, All right. But no, it's, it's, it's this Michelle Pfeiffer, Paul Rudd movie that Amy Heckerling made. And oh, wow. It didn't get released here just because, like, the distributor went bankrupt or something, but it's really funny. You should okay. it on DVD. Good to know. I remember seeing Monsters in London. Remember huh. that Monsters, that the guy that did Godzilla oh, did yeah, yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it never really came out here. I thought it was super it, cool. Yeah, I had, like, a tiny sort of indie release, but not, not a big one. And recently I was in Venice, Italy for one day. Mm-hmm. And I walked around, and I walked around, and you got lost, and yeah. walked around, and took the pictures, and I was like, I had a few more hours to kill, and I'm like, I'm going to go see Godzilla <laughs> in Venice. Was it dubbed or subbed? It was, um, it was, uh, neither, I think. I think it was, I think it was in Italian. I just so thought. dubbed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was dubbed in, in, in Italian. In other words, there was nothing for me in English. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was Godzilla. Godzilla. I yeah, managed. It funny. Yeah, it's funny. That I went to Venice for the first time this year, but it was to cover the film festival. So, apart from one afternoon that I played hooky and walked around and got lost, I just did nothing but watch movies. Now, you've got an event coming up in Los Angeles. Yes. Yes. Uh, December 3rd uh, at, the, uh, at the West Hollywood Library in the Council Chambers as part of the 
Outfest West Hollywood series. It's me and Frank DeCaro, and it's called A Movie Little Christmas in Tinseltown. I love um, it. It says, my book is Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, and then he wrote a holiday guide called, uh, it's his second dead celebrity cookbook. Is it new? Uh, it came out a couple years ago. Oh, I didn't, I thought it, okay. Yeah, it's called, called Christmas in Tinseltown. Yeah. And so we're both Christmas fanatics, and so um, yeah. we're going to talk about stuff and show fun clips, and we have some really cool guests uh, that are coming in. Uh, Bruce Valanche is going to come in because he was one of the writers of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, my God. So he's going to talk about that fiasco. Amazing. Um, Richard Legravenez, the well-known screenwriter. Screenwriter, of course. Um, it's the 20th anniversary of The Ref. Oh, really? Which he wrote. Yeah. So he's going to come and talk about What's that. What's the big line in that movie about socks? Uh, <laughs> who are you to speak to me like that? Slipper socks. Medium. <laughs> yes, I love that. Why don't you eat me? me exactly. That I, was I good. love that movie. Uh, and then um, <clears throat> Cam Clark, who is... Do you know who the King family were? He was a singer. Yeah, he was He's part, a singer. He, I know that dude. He was part of the <clears throat> King family, which was like this huge... First it was the King sisters. They were like a big recording act in the 40s and 50s. And then them being Mormons, they all had a million kids. So then they all had this the King family, this variety show in the 60s. And it was like all these toothy blonde cousins playing banjos and, you know, doing whatever. And Cam was one of the cousins and sang on the show and is now a gay man. A so, gay man. Uh, so he's going to come and talk about it? Yeah. All right, here's some questions from the observation deck. Oh, okay. I'm going to throw at you. What's uh, your favorite bad movie? My favorite bad movie? Um, God, in terms of, like, that I could watch over and over again? Yeah. Uh, it, you know, for a long time it was Valley of the Dolls. I was obsessed with Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, you were going to write a book about it? I was going to write a book about thing. it, yeah. I Have you, I, has that bug lit? That, that's, it's done? Yeah, I don't think okay. that's going to happen. Um, I think I kind of reached saturation point on that one. And now it's probably The Apple. Okay. Um, that's a movie where uh, it was lost for a long time and then it came back. Yeah, or it was, it was, sort, of, yeah, it was yeah. sort of forgotten more than lost. But yeah, it, it, you know, Mark Hoyk, bless his heart, uh, programmed it as a midnight movie at the New Art and really kind of kickstarted its revival. Uh, and that was one of the ones that we did a linoleum night special episode for because there's so much to say. About so that. much <laughs> to say. Have you ever worked in a movie theater, like as an usher, yes, ticket taker? My first job in high school uh, the, at the the National Six on Old National Highway in College Park, Georgia. What was the um, best part of that and the worst part of it? Uh, best part of it was I eventually got to be a projectionist. Really? I worked my way up the ladder from usher to concessions to box to to projection. So that was great because then I didn't have to wear the stupid polyester uniform and I could like, you know, just be up in the in the booth the whole time. Uh the worst part was uh having to clean the bathroom if somebody vomited. <laughs> yeah. And just generally having to like you know, just you'd spend these evenings where all you would do was was like a Friday or Saturday night where it was packed and everybody's a slob, and you had to go through and pick up all the soda cups and popcorn cups and stuff after a show was ending. Like I saw the closing credits of Where the Boys Are '84 more times than I care to remember, right. and doing it all in this like awful like you know aqua polyester blazer. For sure, I was talking to the waiters at the ArcLight, and I wanted to write an article about this. They could tell based on the movie that was the big movie that uh-huh. week what kind of tips they were going to get. Oh, wow. Like, if it was, you know, Lord of the Rings, they were like, oh, fuck. I'm, I mean, that's an example. I don't know if that's right. Uh-huh. But, like, would you be like, could you tell based on the kind of movie it was what how big of a nightmare audience you were going to have? Um, it depended. I mean... There was definitely a period where we were all ready for Breakin' to go away. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then, boom, you got break into Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, well, I was gone by that point. I was yeah. not in the theater anymore. That's so crazy. <laughs> That's why, because just people were unruly and out of control. Yeah, yeah. And just... They were dancing all over. <laughs> I get it. You had to dance, You were sitting man. in that damn community center all yeah. the time. I know. Um, how about this? Where's the strangest place you've ever been recognized? Oh, God. Um, I, at Comic-Con one year... Two people recognized me from the Rotten Tomatoes show, and one person recognized me from Jeopardy, which I thought was like, <laughs> what? Like, that was, I was on one time, and yeah. I, you know, like, it wasn't like I was returning champion Ken Jennings or something. I know, right? that's you know? amazing. So yeah, that was very bizarre. That's cool. <laughs> um, what about this one? What have I seen more than any other? Um, hmm. Uh, you know, actually, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is up there. Uh, because, really? Yeah, I, I remember, like, because I saw it as a kid, and then it became kind of a staple for a while when we were young. Like, it would show on Thanksgiving every year right. on TV or something. And then it was one of those movies that I watched, I didn't see it for, like, about, you know, eight or five or ten years, and then saw it in college, and it was suddenly like, oh my God, this movie is so messed up. It is so dark and perverse, and the kids are treated terribly, and there's all these really weird little side jokes. And I, I, I saw it completely. It's sort of like how when you watch the Batman TV show as a child, right. and you just take it completely seriously as an adventure right. show, and then you see it again as a teenager, you're like, oh my God, this show is hilarious. Right. So yeah, it was sort of the same thing. So I, I've probably seen Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory. I had that yeah. same switcheroo feeling about Harper Valley PTA. Ah. Uh. <laughs> as a kid, I thought, you go get him, Barbara Eden. And as an adult, I thought, she's a terrorist. She's going too far. Yeah, these people don't deserve this No, she's of... really like... Um, who were your teen crushes? My teen crushes? Um, well, you know, when you had to maintain the one female crush to sort of throw the scent off, it was probably... Christy McNichol? Uh, Molly Ringwald, you know, was right. mine. Yeah, for sure. But, I watched uh, um, Pretty in Pink recently. Oh, yeah. It's so good! And it's not even like one of his... Thought of as one of his... Well, he, he didn't direct it. But he could write those long scenes where every beat matters. I don't know. I was in awe. <laughs> I need to go back and watch that again. I, I was and not I, a giant fan at the time, but I, I bet it ages well. Yes. Um, I'll tell you, early Tom Cruise, like Risky Business, All the Right Moves there at Tom yeah. Cruise, I was so in. You were so, so in. Yeah. Okay. Let me see if I have any on. Have you ever written a fan letter? Um, yes, I remember when I was in high school, I read On the Road for the first time. Wow. And I found out... Kerouac, right? Yeah, Kerouac. And I read that, um, that uh, Francis Coppola had the rights. Like, he'd had the rights to it for ages. So I wrote him a letter with casting suggestions of who he should put in the On the Road movie. Really? Who did you suggest? Oh, uh, I don't even I think William Hurt was one of them. Because the, yeah. the, age-wise, it made sense at the time. This was, like, in the, in the 80s. Uh, that's the only one I can remember, though. Um, that's a good one, though. But yeah, yeah. Just, I just, for, yeah, I, I just, had an idea. Yeah, just brainstorming here. I love that know. stuff you do when you're young before you know better. <laughs> exactly. It's so, thank God for it. <laughs> thank God for it. Let me see if I have any more. Is this, does this, does anything come to mind for that one? Um, oh, you know, th- th- this is such a nerdy thing. The question is, who's the most famous person you've been in an elevator with? Um... I was at the. I was covering the press junket for Philadelphia for uh, uh, for This Way Out Radio. Right. And at one point, wound up in an elevator with Jonathan Demi, and I thanked him for this movie called Household Saints that he had executive produced that right. almost nobody saw, and he just kind of went. 
thanks <laughs> and left like it was it was just it was super random and it was like who knows it might have been just one of those things where he just kind of put his name on it to like an right. Oprah presents kind of thing sure but it was just this weird encounter you know and I thought oh, what the hell alright <laughs> so we're gonna ramp it up we've plugged you've got, you gotta go get the book yes. have yourself a movie little Christmas yes. available everywhere it is and if you want an autographed copy yeah. uh, you can paypal 20 bucks to linoleumpodcast at gmail.com and uh, I will sign it I will ship it wherever you want within the United States and uh, we'll even throw in a few little holiday extras. Um, you also have 101 must-see movies for gay men. If you could add one movie since this came out that should be in there, 102. Um, Brokeback Mountain came out literally a month after the oh, book shit. did. Okay. So uh, I've always felt like I wanted to go back and, and put that one in. But of course, heaven forbid I could ever get a second edition out right, of it. Right, from a company that doesn't exist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is there 103? That was um, an obvious Gosh, um, let's see. Well, you know, people... Uh, who, Coyote Ugly? <laughs> I, I still want to have a Coyote Ugly party. I feel like that movie needs a renaissance. <laughs> Somebody I know saw it recently, and, and I've, I've talked about it on Facebook, how all the thoughts that they thought was crazy, and I'm like, it's a bar they'd never want to go to. And so I went to your favorite line, which was, an, uh, a big coyote welcome to Miss Leanne Rhymes. That's my favorite line of dialogue in any movie ever. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that movie. I want it to come back. Um... And last question, why do you love movies so much? What do, what do they do for you? How, what is, what is, how do they work on you? I feel like there's, there's something about, it, 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 it feels concentrated. It feels like in 90 minutes and two hours, you can have this experience, you can feel things and go places and see stuff. And it's almost, it's sort of like the idea, like in those movies where they thought in the future, like all of our food would be pills. You know, it's this pill of, literature and music and visuals and experience and it's just all this one concentrated dosage and at the end of it if it's a good one you are different than you were when you before you saw it that's amazing i just heard this interesting quote when they were talking about mike nichols dying and he was talking about the difference between theater and film and he said film works on the unconscious level in other words mm. whereas theater could it's literary you can kind of see it but something about the power of film and all the elements coming together is like the the creator's Unconscious connecting with the audience as a conscious. Sure. That resonated for me. Like yeah, it's, 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 there's a mis- there's a mystery around it. I think we engage in the same way as when we're when we're dreaming lucidly. You know yeah. that we're that there's something that's shut off and kind of open to things, and you're in the dark, and and these images are, are playing out in your head. And yeah, I, I totally see that. Was there a movie that changed the way you behaved? I'm going to dress like this. I'm going to act like this. Oh, I'm going to be like more like that character. I'm going to. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, Remember right. when I said last question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Randomly, I mean, like, it, it, definitely in college, like, there was a period where, like, I, I got a long tweed trench coat like Judd Nelson's from The Breakfast Club. Right and on. I, for a while, I was favoring the, and I probably still do to a sort of extent, uh, short sleeve button down shirts over t shirts because of Val Kilmer and Real Genius. So I definitely right. picked up some fashion tips. Um, and I think actually, you know, it, I'm not a religious person, I'm an atheist, but when I think about um, Groundhog Day and Defending Your Life, those are kind of two movies that sort of gave me an idea of a way to live, you know. The, the, the notion of Groundhog Day is sort of making the most of opportunities and not kind of getting caught up in a, just a slog of repetition and, and, and the same old stuff of like trying to make things exciting and, and different. And then Defending Your Life, the idea that what we would be, if there's an afterlife and we're being judged on something, what we're being judged on is were we afraid or not? Because, you know, all the stuff about how you treat other people and what you do and, and why you do it 
ultimately boils down to fear. If you aren't afraid, then you aren't selfish and you aren't mean. You know, you you don't have to be cruel to other people because you've got your stuff together and you, you know, you can, you know, you can live a way that isn't just like, oh, it says so on these tablets or in this scroll or whatever. No, I wasn't afraid. And that's, that's as close as a, a thing to any, um, as a, as a thing to live by. Oh my God, you're getting me all spiritual. This show, I listen to it. I think I'm never, I'm not going to have a spiritual answer for Dennis for because he always asks these questions Because they it. don't, on the surface, they're not spiritual, but they go there. But yeah. I, I love it. But it's interesting you say that because I thought, you know, I went through the strike and all of that stuff and mm. it was intense and all of that stuff. But one of the things I took away is that I don't want my life to be fear driven. Yeah. I don't want... I, I want it to be driven by something else. And of course everyone has fear, but I do sure. think that key that you just talked about is something that, that is an idea that I've entertained more in the last few years than before. And I do think that you're on something with that. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm not jumping out of any airplanes or anything, but I just, it, it's just sort of an idea of not limiting your choices because, Ooh, but what if I, I don't know. If I yeah. Do you know, it's just like, you just sometimes, you know, to go back to risky business, sometimes you just got to say, what the fuck? I love it. I love it. It's a great way to end. Check out all of Alonzo's great stuff. Go to linoleum dash knife podcast. Listen to their podcast. If you haven't already, I'm so glad we've been friends for so long and you're <laughs> a rock and a prince and a joy. And I love how you keep finding new ways within this thing that you love to do your thing because it ain't easy no was there ever a time when you're like fuck this (laughs) shit um the the, the closest i ever came was one year that i was covering sundance and i was doing interviews for a website and they put us in the back of a gifting suite and so i spent like an entire day just watching people go into this gifting suite and like get their stuff and trying to get in and uh, you're cool enough and you're not and it was just it was this concentration of everything i hate about you know, the industry. Right. And I remember I, I called Dave, I left his voice, and I was like, I'm going to go apprentice to a plumber. I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. And then that night I went to a screening, and Kim Yatani, bless her heart, who's my, who was my boss at, at Outfest, and she's also a Sundance programmer, I, 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 I saw her, and I was like, oh, uh, and I sort of poured out about the day I had, she goes, no, you were at Scuzz Dance. That's yeah. something else entirely. And then I watched a movie, and it was a good movie, and I felt much better. I love that story. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Alonzo. Check out all this stuff. This was a delight. And uh, check us out next time. Bye. My thanks again to Alonzo Duraldi. If you're in L.A., go see A Movie Little Christmas in Tinseltown with Alonzo and Frank DeCaro. That's Wednesday, December 3rd at 7.30 p.m. You can buy tickets at outfest.org and look for the WeHo series under their uh, programs page. Uh, Also, you can order his book on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Have yourself a movie little Christmas and check out his podcast with Dave White called Linoleum Knife. It's really, really great. Even if you aren't obsessed with new movies, the sitcom bickering is plenty entertaining on its own and that's available on iTunes. So thanks again for listening. Check out my website, DennisAnyone.net. Like me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at HensleyDennis. And um, go to DennisAnyone.net and do some fun stuff there. Thanks so much, and uh, hope your Christmas season is off to a rollicking start. Bye!